Um, and then, yeah, every Friday you'd, you'd go and everyone would just fill up the cafeteria and Mark uh, Zuck would be standing on stage and talking and just answering any questions. Like you could literally, you know, raise your hand and ask a question uh, to Mark Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> it's just, I mean, even, even that's pretty crazy, right? Can you just verify one thing before you continue? Is he human or a robot? I think a lot of people are wondering. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no comment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. Listen, uh, right before we, we started recording, um, I found out that, you know, Dion, a fellow Canadian who's also in the U.S., now you're in a place with a bit more sunshine uh, right now in Cali. How, how has it been like, dude, uh, just going from Canada to the U.S.? What, what has that experience been like? Yeah, it's it's been good. And uh, I mean, obviously, the weather's better. Uh, there's, there's no winters here, but... Um, I think it, it's uh, been interesting for me because when I was at uh, university, at University of Waterloo, I actually interned out here in California a couple times. And so um, always in kind of the, the San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, so to speak. And so when I eventually moved out here after school, it felt it felt kind of like home. It felt like, you know, I, I started getting to know the place and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's been good. Just been living here ever since. Yeah, San Francisco is a great place. My my roommate actually was with me in Toronto, moved there uh, quite recently, probably like a year ago now. So I had the chance to visit. It, it's always a fun place, man. Great restaurants, you know, good people, good vibe. Yeah, yeah agreed. You uh, you kind of escaped like the, the dark months of winter. Dude. I don't know if you, you your friends uh, mentioned this recently, but it was snowing like yesterday in, in, uh, <laughs> in Toronto. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't even see that, but it's, it's cold. What is it? It's April. Yeah. You, you expect it to like, there'll still be those, those throws up, up until May basically. Right. Exactly. Now, now you studied uh, in Waterloo for those uh, who might not be aware, kind of just curious about your experience uh, studying at one of, in my opinion, obviously, and, and this is a kind of objective, I guess, uh, best university for robotics, specifically things around uh, AI and, and a few things like that. It, it, I think, in my opinion, it might, might be comparable to maybe uh, Carnegie Mellon, if you would agree. Yeah. But just curious, yeah. like how, how was that for you, for folks in the U.S. not familiar with Waterloo? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we like to call ourselves the MIT of Canada. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Waterloo is, a, is an amazing school, a really strong tech like just program there. So whether you're in engineering, robotics, even have a program called like mechatronics or whatever and, and, and computer science. Um, and I think one of the cool things about Waterloo is, uh, well, there's there's two two things uh, that that are really powerful and like low key about Waterloo is one, um, the co-op program, and so um, basically every <clears throat> every co-op student will will start their you know four year term doing school for two terms, but then after that it's like a work term, like an internship, and then you're back in school, and then work term, then back in school, and so on for your for the rest of your kind of uh, career at, at Waterloo. So co-op students end up graduating in five years, but end up having like two years worth of work experience by the time they're done. Um, and that's kind of created this interesting um, cycle where, you know, a lot of these students are working at some of the best companies uh, on the planet, right? And so companies like Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's something that's super interesting. I didn't even know that before I got in there, um, but it, it, that created this like really interesting ecosystem. Um, and the second thing that's that's really cool about Waterloo is is all of the outreach they do to younger kids. 
Um, so they actually host um, all of the like math competitions and programming competitions like throughout Canada. So there's like the, the Euclid and the Canadian computing competition, whatever. And for me, that was actually how I had heard about Waterloo. So when I was like younger, I was into these math and, and programming competitions um, and like universities, University of Waterloo's name was like slapped all over it. And they were always doing these like, you know, these programs for kids. And so um, when I was in like junior high, I was like, wow, this school, I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know anything about college to be frank. Uh, but I was like, I want to go there one day. Um, and probably, you know, super fortunate that I ended up going there because of, because of this ecosystem and ended up surrounding myself with, or getting surrounded by, uh, some of the brightest people I've ever met. So really, really uh, grateful for, for that school. Was that, cause I often hear that, uh, quite a bit, like, especially when I'm doing these, these episodes. Uh, for folks who like get into computer sci or start coding, it's always like that passion. I feel like I'm, I'm hearing comes from always an, an early age. Uh, and I'm curious, like, what was that? How, how, how was that discovery like for you? I mean, was it when you just got your first computer? What, what, what was that tipping point like early on in your life? Yeah, for sure. So um, just a bit of background on myself. So I grew up in, in inner city Toronto, right? Like literally the ghetto, uh, as, as you would call it, uh, one of the statistically worst neighborhoods in, in Canada. Um, and so, uh, but my, my dad was, was kind of a, a tinkerer, right? Like he, he's a mechanic by trade, um, but loves to like build things, put things together. And so he ended up like putting together one of our, um, our, our first computer, uh, that I remember. And we had like a windows 95 at the time or whatever. And so I, I just remember that. Um, but the, the spark for me, um, I pro maybe, maybe it runs in the family a little bit, but the spark for me actually came from video games. So me and uh, I have three brothers, two older brothers, one younger brother, and we all gamed. We would play these RPGs, um, back in the day, it was like Final Fantasy VIII or whatever was like the, yes, the so. thing. <laughs> throwing back. Yeah, the, the throwbacks, right? <laughs> and so, um, and so I was like really pretty young, like I was like seven or eight years old, uh, around this time and um in our neighborhood like programming computing math all that stuff like it wasn't actually that cool like it wasn't like you know it was around uh, a thing that people were advertising but i had uh, my older brother had one friend um who was a hacker like he literally figured out he knows how to like get into your computer type hacker um wow. and and he would come over and, and then show me how to do stuff on the computer and then uh, like one of these days, he, he shows me, uh, he downloads this like game maker program on my computer, uh, which is, which allows you to make video games. Um, it, it was drag and drop. So it wasn't really like coding, coding per se, but it was like drag and drop. Um, but that, that was like the beginning of it for me where um, at, at that point I started, I was like, okay, well, Final Fantasy, I love Final Fantasy. How do you make, how would you make that on, on, on the computer? Um, I was super into like Pokemon and Digimon. And so my first uh, actual video game was this thing called Dojimon. Uh, great, very creative, very creative. I, <laughs> I love the name, uh, dude. <laughs> yeah, I came up how did you come up with that? <laughs> I was just like, yeah, like, you know, I was, whatever, however old I, I was, it was so creative, just combine the names, right? Um, but, and that's actually my Twitter handle today, Dojiboy9. Um, so I, I kind of kept that, that phrase Doji as like a, a symbol for how I learned to code. And at the time, again, drag and drop, but over time I started getting really more interested. Eventually I was like, all right, how does this game maker work? How do, how do you know, how would you actually build it from scratch? Um, and so, you know, junior high um, and stuff like that, started learning um, C++, started learning different programming languages and then got super interested. And I think like, you know, the one thing leads to the next. And then for the other thing was like programming competitions and math competitions. Mm -hmm. um, and I just really followed my passion until 
Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, the rest is history, but um, really followed that passion, um, regardless of whether it was, you know, cool or whatever in my neighborhood. Um, it was something that I love doing and had to like, you know, find for myself. Yeah, I want to unpack two things. Actually, let me let me start on the latter thing that you said in terms of it potentially not being cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you, you grew up in a, in a, in a tough neighborhood. And, and I know um, that, you know, if you're trying to kind of, kind of break away from the norm, that's very difficult to do. Dude, I, I, I was literally, I don't know if you know Tom Bilyeu from the Impact Theory podcast, the guy who yeah. founded Quest, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was talking to, to Bishop T.D. Jakes on his most recent episode. And he was giving this example of, of a scenario where one of his friends wasn't in, in intercity. He gave them uh, books to read and he literally uh, had, had to get in like a fist fight just because I guess a group of his friends saw him reading and they're like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. What do you think you're smart? Yeah. You're better than us. Like yeah. this, this happens a lot. So just curious, like how do you break away from that norm when obviously it's very difficult to do? Um, that's a, that's a great question. And it's like, it's like, what I would say is the most important thing is to, to just kind of remember to do you at all points in time, right? Like those kinds of things, like that story you just said there, like that's, that's going to happen. And it's super unfortunate um, when, when, you know, even, even kids can, can be like that sometimes. Um, but it's, you just got to keep going and find it kind of within yourself. Right. And so, um, you know, whether it, it's like the friends you hang out with or whatever, you just, you kind of keep doing that and over time. And so, um, I, yeah, I think I was pretty fortunate, um, that, you know, my parents were always about education. They were always like, Hey, you know, even though no one in my family had gone to college before, um, they knew that if, if we were, you know, going to have a better life than they had, so to speak, um, that education was, was the way to do it. Like for, for whatever, whatever that means. Right. And so, um, they definitely kind of instilled that in me that just, just keep going, keep doing your thing. You have some aptitude for this, just follow your passion, whatever. It was funny. They didn't even know what programming was, uh, so to speak. My mom was always like, Oh, if you can, you know, if you have talent, go be a lawyer or a doctor, <laughs> whatever sometimes. Uh, but, it, and so we, we would laugh about that even, even today, but, uh, my, but yeah, they, they always encouraged me in terms of academics. And so that was one thing that I, I just kept pushing on. And it is kind of, it is kind of tough when your friends are like, oh, like that's, that's not cool. That's weird. That's like, you know, um, why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing other things that whatever are more stereotypical? Right. But, um, over time, I think if you just keep focusing on that and, and try and find and, and find people or programs, uh, that, um, kind of accept you, then, then you can do a lot better. And it's, it's easier said than done, obviously. But, um, you know, I think that there is a recipe there. How did you explain coding to your parents? <laughs> curious. Um, that's a good question. So um, for a while, it was always this hobby. Uh, it was always like this thing I did for fun. And as long as I, you know, kept my grades up and, and stuff like that, um, they were like, all right, it's this thing. He's having fun with it. Probably like thought um, you were gaming or something like yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you're really gaming. Like, what is this? Um, I think it was, um, I think the first time they, they like kind of got it, um, was, was when I first got a job coding. Mm -hmm. Um, so in high school, my first ever job actually was, um, uh, in customer service, uh, which, uh, obvious, I guess in hindsight, but, um, in customer service, um, I was stocking shelves at, at, at Shoppers Drug Mart, which is like the Canadian CVS, um, answering customer yeah. questions, exactly, things like that. Um, and, and, um, and we could talk about how that kind of, you know, led to me thinking about customer service AI eventually. But um, my, 
after that, um, it was interesting because like, I, I don't know if I was crazy or whatever, but I actually applied to, to coding jobs uh, while I was in high school. Right. And, and it was, um, it was really cool because eventually uh, I ended up landing, uh, well, first an internship at the University of Alberta, where I actually started learning about machine learning because it was in the uh, machine learning department. Um, but then separately, um, an actual job as a software tester at, at the small, like a small tech shop in, in, in Canada. Um, and, and I was always super kind of proud that I could, you know, help my parents pay the bills, whether that was, you know, from stocking shelves or whatever, or, or in programming. And I think at that point, after I had gotten a job in programming, they're like, oh, this is actually a thing. <laughs> like, they're like, it's not just, you know, you're playing video games or you're actually like building stuff and like, you know, hustling, making money, so to speak. So it was kind of funny, um, kind of in hindsight that, um, that it's like, they realized it was like a real, it could be a career, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, you're not just playing Counter-Strike. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of that is changing, right? Like even with esports, and, and I, I think like now parents are probably more educated regardless of the spectrum. But certainly yeah. like I, can't, I come from the Middle East, right? And uh, in Lebanon, if you said coding, I mean, now it's obviously much more progressive, but in, in the past, like or a YouTuber or, some, or a podcaster, you know, they probably think you're a wizard or something like you're... <laughs> exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you as well, before we get to forethought, obviously, and where you are today, um, the, the one thing I think about computer science, which is also interesting, is it's always evolving. Like, it's one of those things where, where it has two parts. It's, I guess, part of it is a little bit academic. Like, there might be theories and, and kind of structures you have to know. But so much of it is, is practical. And you pointed that out yourself through your experience. How do, you, how do you keep learning, basically, new languages? By languages, we mean, like, coding or com computer languages, not necessarily, yeah. um, you know, the other side of it. Uh, but how do, you, how do you constantly evolve on that front? And, and what... What would you say are the, are the key characteristics that that allow you to be a good programmer per se? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So um, I would say two parts. So on the theory side, um, locking down and knowing the theory is actually really important, right? And so for me, I, I would geek out about algorithms. I would geek out about data structures, um, things like that. You know, computation theory, like the stuff you kind of learn in in university. Um, as well as like the, the fun fundamentals, things like math, you know, linear algebra, trigonometry, those kinds of things. Um, and, and it's actually important, I think, to um, understand the, the core concepts, like different than, for example, I, I was really bad at subjects like history, where a lot of it is about memorizing and, and understanding what happened. Um, in most, most math and computer-based subjects, um, it's actually very simple primitives that end up leading to like really complex things, right? And so it's the same as in a programming language. You can learn like the very basics of a programming language uh, to, to basically say, you know, hello world in a, in a program. Um, but it's those same primitives that end up leading you to building giant servers and video games and all these things, right? And so um, knowing those fundamentals down cold to the point where like it becomes intrinsic and you don't feel like you're memorizing, but you feel like, oh, I actually understand the, the physics of it, so to speak, right? Like why this happens, um, I think has always been important. And I learned that from probably more from programming competitions because it's all about the algorithms. It's all about the fundamentals and the theory. Um, and so I'd say know that cold, but then um, second, and this is probably a little more actionable, uh, whenever learning a new language, uh, I've always, always based it on a project, right? So like 
I learned C++ because I wanted to know how to build these video games. And, you know, as I got older, Xbox and Game Boy video games are all built in C++. I was like, all right, how do I go and build these now? Um, and so when you have like this end goal of a thing you have in mind, um, all of the primitives and all the things you need to learn to learn a new programming language become natural because it's like you're, you're, you're acquiring these new tools in your toolkit so that you can go and, 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 you know, attack a harder problem, right? It's almost like video, it's almost like gaming in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And so this, this, uh, this feedback loop um, is really important. I think a lot of people go wrong because they're, um, they're trying to approach it academically. Okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to learn this language. And, and, you know, I'm going to just go from chapter one through chapter eight. Um, but, but what I've always done is <clears throat> that an idea for a video game or an idea for an app um, or recently or, or whatever, um, that's led me to learning different languages. Um, I'll give you just two quick examples and we can hop off the, the topic. But um, so I learned front end. So like React, uh, which is, you know, a, a modern framework for developing web applications uh, because I wanted to build an app. Um, after I'd interned at Facebook, um, which we can talk about, um, yep. I got the social network bug. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to build a social network, uh, on my, on the iPhone, um, that that's a lot like Instagram, but video basically, basically it was like TikTok before TikTok was cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was like an idea I had. And so I had to learn react native. I had to learn iOS development and things like that. Um, and I had never done it before, but that's where I learned it because I had this like idea that I wanted to get done. Um, and then similarly for AI and machine learning, I'd started studying and thinking about that stuff in high school. But the, the thing that really got me in there was, again, I mentioned I was like horrible at history class, but I had this bright idea. I was like, I'm going to build an AI that can help me study for history class. <laughs> and, and so I learned about natural language processing, natural language understanding, question answering, question generation, stuff like that in order to like build this thing. Um, that could help me through school. And so I think that's actually, <clears throat> that's my hack because otherwise I, I don't even, I don't know if I would have the discipline to just learn something. Um, mm -hmm. But I think if you combine that with like, here's this end goal that I want to build or build towards, um, it can be really powerful. Yeah, man, I did the same thing. I mean, I, I'm not a coder. I never went through the computer science track. Uh, I was always in business finance. Yeah. But I had this 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 kind of idea for an app to, to create or, or make it easier for students to buy and sell books. We called it Bookback. We got it on the uh, Apple store and, and uh, you know, the end, like the whole nine yards and dude, just going even through like the, the wireframes, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and for me, it was always tough to reconcile what the vision was for this app with what we're able to, to do today, technically, yeah. you know, with two of my co-founders who are in computer science, uh, it's always kind of a tough divide, but, but to your point, it was the best way for me to learn actually all the nuances more qualitatively, of course, but like. You know, just reading a, a TechCrunch article of how an app is made versus actually going through it, you know, putting where your money where your mouth is, I think is, is so much more valuable uh, to your point. Agreed. So, so curious on the, on the internships, for those not, not aware, um, you, you've, you've worked and interned at some of the big tech names, right? Facebook, you mentioned, uh, Palantir, Dropbox more recently, before jumping into kind of your, your full uh, venture yourself. What was probably the, the common thread? That's that's what I'm most curious about. What was the common thread that you noticed working with the big techs? Yeah, and so uh, by common thread, do you mean my common thread on where I went or common thread of things I, I saw? In yeah, society? the latter. Thanks for <laughs> yeah. clarifying, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting. One of the one of the most powerful things, and this isn't even tech related, but it was how these how these companies became global brands, how these companies went from zero to one 
um, was almost always something unique about their culture, their mission, um, and and just like, yeah, the, the culture and the mission, I think, stood out to me the most um, and, and, the, and the level of talent. So what I mean by that is like, for example, when I was at Facebook, that was my first, you know, Silicon Valley internship. Um, one of the things, Mark uh, Zuckerberg would kind of do these all hands uh, every, every Friday, I think. Um, like, would you, would you, see, would you get to yeah, see him? Yeah, he'd be literally there. We'd be in the cafeteria. They have this little campus with right. like, I don't know, 10 or so buildings. It's probably way bigger now, but they had this little campus and some of the buildings have like a cafeteria in them. And then, yeah, every Friday you'd, you'd go and everyone would just fill up the cafeteria and Mark uh, Zuck would be standing on stage and talking and just answering any questions. Like you could literally, you know, raise your hand and ask a question uh, to Mark Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> it's just, I mean, even, even that's pretty crazy, right? And you just verify one thing before you continue. Is he human or a robot? I think a lot of people are wondering. <laughs> uh, uh, no, no comment. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Area 51, um, baby. You know? Exactly. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, it's like, is this live? Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I mean that that first of all, that that's pretty cool. Like I, I was I was pretty I actually the the first time I met Mark Zuckerberg, I mean not met met because I don't think he knows who I am, but uh the first time I saw Mark Zuckerberg, he was walking down the campus with I think it was like Cheryl Sandberg. And like, I was walking by cause like we were interns or whatever. And I literally stopped and did like a freeze, like, you know, like a fanboy stare. I was, like, I was gonna ask, are you fanboy? Like you pull out a poster more? <laughs> no, like I played it cool. I played it cool, but like, I, I, like, I had a couple, like, like a, a, there was like two full seconds, long seconds where I was like, wait, is that, that's, that's Mark Zuckerberg. Right? Well, yeah. yeah and, and then you continue on and like you're, you're back to normal, but like, it's just like such a weird trippy experience. Right. And so anyway, um, but one of the things that that struck me about Zuck was that um, every every single all hands, um, he would always bring it back to the mission and it was make the world more open and connected. And it was always about that. And it was like the most fascinating thing for me because it's like, hey, we're building a social network, right? Like we're building this this web app that, you know, we can post videos and pictures and whatever. But every single time when Mark talked about um, Facebook, it was always about changing the world. It was always about making the world more open and connected. It was always about something that was bigger than themselves. And it was just like the most fascinating, like meta, meta thing in my head. I was like, wait, but, you know, just putting, putting those things together and thinking about how, um, the company you're building is so much more than just the app, just the website. It's like the mission, it's the thing you're building, um, that. And then I think the culture, like Facebook had like move fast and break things as, as one of their mottos. Um, and I think that actually led to a ton of, um, like just really powerful impacts on, on, on people. Like for example, as an intern, they would joke, Hey, if you don't break facebook.com by the end of your internship, uh, you're probably doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> and, and so I remember I had a ton of like imposter syndrome and whatever, but, um, I remember the first time I had to submit code and I would look up, uh, and there's these posters on the wall. There's one poster that was like, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Right. And, and uh, for me, that was like, okay, well, um, I would submit my code. Right. You know what I mean? And, and because it's been peer reviewed, it's been tested, blah, 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 blah. Um, I didn't break facebook.com uh, during my internship, uh, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> right. But it, it, it was like that, that mentality that like, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes uh, was really baked into the culture um, to the point where, you know, eventually I, I got my flow, flow, got my rhythm and started building a whole bunch of things that, 
like eventually, you know, I, I helped build uh, RocksDB, which is a database that uh, helps power newsfeed, Uber, Yahoo, other big companies are using now. Um, and my work ended up getting patented, which was like sick, right? Like That's imagine amazing. being a 19, wow. 20 year old. Yeah. And like, that was one of the best work experiences of my life. And I, and I just like, remember that. Um, and I attribute that back to, again, this, this culture, like when you're building a billion dollar business, you know, in, in Facebook's case, a hundred billion dollar business, like there's something more than like the, the top companies look a little bit different than your average company. And I think the same was true at Palantir. Um, they had a very strong mission-driven culture, save the Shire, right? They, they were out to save the world um, and, and true for, you know, Dropbox and Pure Storage and, and other companies I worked with. And so um, I think that that's something that I, I also took with me um, at Forethought, you know, now that I'm an entrepreneur, I think like, how are you, how are you making the world a better place? Um, and, and how are you bringing together the best people in the world and, and empowering them to do their best work? Um, and so anyway, that's a, th those are some threads. I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for, but that's no, what sure. comes up to me. Yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I think what you pointed out is something I think a lot of CEOs do as well, or at least like good, good CEOs, right? It's always like realigning back to mission. And in fact, like you always hear them repeat so many things constantly, right? And you're sitting there and you're like, dude, why do you, like, I know this already, but it, <laughs> it's, you know, a quarterly or a town hall, every time you repeat it, it really just embeds it in, in, in your mind. And it's kind of like a little worm, right? It's, because you tend to forget about it. You go on your day, there's so many things that come up in meetings and whatever. And it's just like recentering almost, you yeah. know? So so really cool that you say that. Curious for now that we can jump to forethought. Um, what is that for you to start from a high level? What is that vision and mission that you set? Yeah, so at Forethought, our mission is to unlock genius, unlock genius in every business um, and, and its customers, right? And so when we think about artificial intelligence um, and you know the sci-fi, the doom and gloom, the iRobots of the world, right? Like you think of artificial intelligence sometimes in in kind of a negative way, like it's you know this this bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the way I see it, um, AI, like any other technology, and like any other technological revolution, is here to is is built by and for humans, right? Is built to unlock human potential. I, I like to talk about this concept of your zone of genius, which is, there's a lot of research and stuff around that I, I read, read, read it in a book somewhere, so I can't come up with this, but um, the, the your zone of genius as a human is when you're um, working on things that you love and that you're passionate about, right? The things that you're most excited about at life and uh, the intersection of that and the stuff you're best at, you're, you're most uniquely um, empowered to do, right? And so sometimes you can be working, working on stuff that you're great at, but you don't love, or working on stuff that you love, but you're not great at. The, the sweet spot happens when you work on stuff that you love and you're great at and you're empowered to do that. And so when I think about <clears throat> building a productivity company at the end of the day, building a company that's all about um, bringing efficiency to the world, it's about unlocking human potential. It's about unlocking genius, right? So whether that's through um, automation um, and that enables people to live in their zone of genius because AI can help tackle the things that are uh, more mundane, simpler, um, and don't require human intellect, empathy, curiosity, right? Or um, it can be through empowering those humans. So imagine, you know, giving them, giving them superpowers, giving them suggestions, giving them answers to, to questions that they have. Uh, as you can see me tying back to my uh, old customer service days, um, that, that, is, that enables human genius, right? And so I, I think of that as our mission here um, at Forethought. What what was the sort of impetus to, to create forethought, and what when like did that happen when you were at Dropbox? Curious, like did you always, or was it even from the shoppers drug mart days you know, when, <laughs> when you were physically doing customer service, and you're like, dude, there's there's a link here that's broken that I want to fix. 
Yeah, it was like a very slow but steadily building, you know, kind of story over time in my own head, right? And so started with the the Shoppers Drug Mart days being in customer service and really like, you know, answering people's questions and realizing like a lot of this stuff um, could could be done with technology, right? Even in a a physical store, Um, imagining that. Um, but, you know, at the time I didn't, you know, I wasn't an AI expert by, by any means. I'm still not an AI expert to, to, at the, at the end of the day, still a lot more to learn. Um, but, uh, the, the second thing was that I mentioned, you know, my textbook reader app thing in, in, in high school, again, going back to this, like, okay, I, I know I want to study history. Um, there's all these facts, all this information. I don't need to generate cue cards if there's textbooks, if there's notes we're taking in class. What about if, you know, we can have these cue cards or we can have this, this AI that can answer my questions when I have a question. And so that was like my second, like, you know, the second, um, uh, maybe, you know, straw, so to speak, right? Like just throwing that on there. And then throughout university um, at Waterloo, I kept coming back to it. I kept like thinking about um, NLP, uh, machine learning and how um, AI can help people become smarter or help people at work. Um, and so it was always this like thread in the back of my mind, so to speak, um, to the point where um, I took all the machine learning classes, I took all the, you know, th- those things. And then I started also taking online courses, uh, like the Coursera NLP course from Chris Manning um, and stuff like that. And then read like his textbook and stuff like that. Um, spoiler alert, he's actually one of our advisors here at, at Forethought now, Chris Manning, the guy who wrote the NLP and no way. people books. Yeah, which is which is super cool. Dude, that's like full um, circle, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Jeez>. And <laughs> he's the legend, right? Um, such a such a cool guy and and incredibly uh gracious. How did you reach out for that? Like curious, like, I mean, if, if you can mention that story, but yeah. Um, so um Okay, so university, I studied all the stuff, like started learning about it, um, graduated, um, eventually, and it was like three, four years later, um, yeah, about three years later when I decided to start Forethought. Um, So I actually, I was taking an online Coursera course by Chris Manning, um, and I was already in the Bay Area and stuff like that. And, And so I would literally, he had office hours for his course and stuff like that. And so... I would go, and again, I was using NLP because um, I wanted to think about how I could build these products. And so I started, you know, the first inklings of forethought and stuff like that. So um, I would go to his office hours, ask him questions about um, about NLP, natural language understanding, and some of the models and things like that. And then um, I also, at, at one point, I kind of mustered up the courage. And I was like, hey, here's this app I'm working on um, and, and uh, would love to get your advice on that. And so... Uh, our relationship kind of evolved a little bit over time to like uh, just talking about, for example, some of the business values in, in these NLP models we were building. And, and so I was starting to think about, um, you know, I had the, the previous idea around textbook readers. I had um, the idea around customer service. And so I was, I was definitely converging on what eventually became forethought. Um, and, and at every kind of step in the way, it'd be like once a quarter, I would maybe check in with him and be like, hey, here's what's been going on um, and that sort of thing. And then I think it was funny because like, you know, a quarter later, I, I, when I checked in with him again and, and, and we, we, we caught up, um, I had started a company, right? Like, you're, you know, a quarter later, we had raised funding. A quarter later, we won TechCrunch Disrupt. And so I think um, it was kind of cool, or I'm, I'm at least painting the story that it was probably cool to see like, hey, here's this student who um, has, has been progressing in this way. And then eventually asked if he'd be interested in, in uh, kind of advising us uh, formally. 
Um, and now he works really closely with our, our machine learning team here at Forethought um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's kind of cool. Um, you can maybe you can maybe call it like a uh, a story of hustle and <laughs> or something, but uh, and drive. Um, but um, you know, probably it's more a story of of Chris being incredibly gracious with his time and things like that. So you mentioned a lot of kind of milestones there, right? The TechCrunch, the Thrive, that's massive. I mean, for those, uh, I don't think we can get into it like in full full now, but uh, definitely recommend just checking it out on the side to see like how how meaningful this would be for an entrepreneur. Um, you mentioned the raise. I think your last Series B was about 17 mil. Uh, I don't know what the total raise uh, was, but uh, assumingly it, it's around what 20, 30, like somewhere around that range. Is it? Exactly. Yeah. Total correct? total amount raised. Yeah, like in the 20, 30 million range. 20, yeah. 30. Which again, I mean, dude, it. So I work in capital markets, right? And these like figures are thrown so commonly during the day for me that it doesn't like you know 2030 is, is common right when, when, <laughs> not, not that it's easy i'm just saying that yeah, it, yeah. it's something talked about but every time i do a podcast i'm like damn like if you just sit back and think about what that really means like you just raised 17 million dollars in your last round of financing you know i think there, there's brevity to that um what are you most proud of number one and number two i'm curious when was that when did you feel like you're actually winning you know what i mean like like that that moment <laughs> yeah. when you're like holy sh like we have something here that's serious. When was that feeling? So just those two. Yeah, and so uh, what was the first question again? What Maybe we can start with with the tipping point first. What, what, yeah, yeah, when was that moment of, of real success that you felt? Uh, it's it's interesting because it's it's one of those you know never never satisfied <laughs> moments. And so even today, I still feel like we got a lot to do before we can be considered like a, a real company. You know what I mean? And so. Um, I think it's really, it's milestones. You, you stop and you kind of celebrate each win along the way. Um, not, not long enough to start drinking your own Kool-Aid, so to speak, but long enough that, you know, we can appreciate how hard the journey is and, and where we've come. So right. I think, <clears throat> and so I think that that first win was TechCrunch Disrupt, um, but it wasn't like a, hey, we've made it win. It was a, hey, we're onto something win. You know what I mean? Um, and then the next year growing, landing our first customers, all of that. Um, and then more recently, we've seen a ton of growth, right? And, and obviously the Series B um, was, was pretty cool, right? To raise $17 million. And we have um, luminaries like Sound Ventures, Ashton Kutcher's Fund, as well as, you know, LL Cool J and, and P. Diddy investing in the company. Um, so those are definitely like pinch me, like what the heck is going on moments um, and, and stuff cool. like that. Um, but it's definitely, I would say, you know, it, bigger company, bigger problems. It, it actually only gets harder. And so, um, you know, every, at every single point, you're thinking about what is that next milestone? Um, because at any point, right, like you're, you haven't really made it until you've made it, right? And so um, you gotta, you always gotta stay hungry, so to speak, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think like, maybe you probably answered the first one then, which, which is what, like, what are, what are you most proud of so far building forethought? Yeah, um, the the thing I'm most proud of is is um, that I think we're like those elements I described earlier about you know how Mark Zuckerberg and, and Drew Houston and, and folks built companies. Um, I think we're on. I, I think we're on to something. It's the people and it's the culture, um, right? And it's the the mission um, that I I'm super proud of the the caliber and the talent of folks I get to work with every single day, um, and the fact that. Um, at Forethought, the culture is, hey, we're, we're, you know, our goal is to be, be the best. It's all people who are intrinsically motivated, trying to be the best versions of themselves, uh, trying to, you know, bring out that genius. 
Um, and at the same time, it's people who are kind and, and empathetic and, and caring, right? And so um, it's just, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing I'm most proud of is just the people um, at Forethought. Do you feel like, uh, curious maybe on, on the leadership side, like do you feel, you talk about it, it only gets harder, right? And it, it's kind of like the, the same an analogy with money. Right. Everybody wants a million dollars. But when, once you have a million dollars in the bank account, you don't really know what to do with it. Right. And so you think oh, I was just going to go spend it. And then before you know it, like Shaq spent a million dollars in like two days. But <laughs> my, my point being there is especially around leadership. It's not one of those things that you can learn. Right. It's something that you uh, sorry, not, not something that you can learn maybe on book. I mean, but something yep. that you kind of evolve with personally yourself and, and through mistakes. Curious, like for you, when you go through some of those tough times, right? And when everything's kind of on your shoulders, right? Like this is a company that you're leading, uh, employees that, that, you're, uh, that you're kind of setting the way for, right? How do you keep yourself in check, especially through the, the tough times? Two things come to mind there is one, um, <clears throat> lean into the pain is one of, uh, is something one of my investors recently told me um, in that, um, when when times get tough, uh, it's usually the the opportunities where you have the most opportunity to grow, right? It's 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 exactly those times when you start to realize, okay, everything that kind of got me here to this point um, is was good, but I I need to level up, I need to grow, I need to transform, um, even in ever ever so slightly way, uh, in order to get to that next level. So it's it's constantly thinking about, okay, like. This is a learning opportunity. This is growth for me. I um, mean, it's hard. Like I'm, there's a lot of things about my own personality that have either that again, have, have been successful or helped me be successful to some degree that I also have to unlearn. Right. Um, examples of that is like, I'm super, I'm actually non-confrontational as, as, as like a, as like a one personality trait. Right. And so means again, I, I actually really build rapport, um, get along with people really well, those sorts of things. Um, but, but, you know, as maybe as a company gets bigger and you have to make harder and tougher decisions, well, then now I have to lean into that pain, lean into that confrontation and, and, and start making harder decisions. Right. And so that's like a completely different paradigm shift, uh, in my own brain. And so there's, there's a lot of these like personal journey type things that you go on, um, in order to do that. Um, and then the second thing I would say is, um, you can learn uh, in the sense that like literally reading books, as many books as you possibly can, how people did it. The, the, one of the ones I recently quoted, like I literally tweeted about this or something recently, but um, Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz literally talks about all these Amazing things. Book. Yeah. yeah, such a great book, High Growth Manual or High Growth Handbook by Elad Gill, like even down to the nitty gritty, like, all right, how do you um, hire executives? How do you do X, Y, and Z? Like those sorts of things can be learned from experts. Um, and then the third part of that is, is, um, surrounding yourself with people. So you learn by, by, you know, reading the theory, but also just talking to people, right? So my investors, uh, my board members, advisors, and folks like that, like I lean, I lean on them all the time. Right. And so, you know, it takes a village, right. Uh, to, to kind of do this. Um, and it's not a matter of just trying to do it on your own. Um, it, it's actually a matter of finding who's the smartest, literal best person in the world at this thing. Right. And, and if you have access to that, not not all not all the time you do, but in some cases we do, um, then go and ask that person. Right. And, and the more you can kind of do that and just be, you know, one of my investors, again, said, you know, be confident enough to be humble 
uh, right? It, it, that will help you know when you have weaknesses that can actually be learned or you can um, you know, surround yourself by people who have strengths where, you're, where you have weaknesses um, and that sort of thing. And that's actually how you continue to grow over time and build leverage both on your team and, and in yourself. I love it, man. That's, that's a really, really nice, concise way to, to say it. One book actually I would recommend too is, is it's called Humans Are Underrated. Thanks. Uh, it really blends well into everything that you're doing, by the way, and talks about the creativity, like how, I don't know if you remember the beginning part of what we were talking about when you said, you know, AI doesn't have to be this like negative connotation that people on the extreme, you know, it can, it can have yeah. a bit of both worlds, which lends into, into the last question I wanted to ask you is, where are you on this debate? Are you on the Elon Musk angle, on the Bezos, Zucks angle, like which on the spectrum of is AI good or bad? Where, where do you lie? And also why, obviously, is what I want to get to the, the deeper side. I think every tool has uh, potential to um, bring massive benefit. And, you know, kind of with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, classic Uncle Ben. Preach, preach. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Um, but I, I think it is, I think it's exactly that. Like the, um, I think it was Andre Carpathy uh, who, who I heard uh, say this pretty concisely. Um, so he's, you know, probably of the Elon Musk variety, but, mm -hmm. but he, he said something really interesting, which was like, think of AI the same way you think of um, nuclear energy, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think about nuclear energy, it has the ability to um, power homes, power, you know, our entire kind of society um, if, if done well. But there's also kind of a, you know, a negative downside to it, right? Like it can also power things like nuclear bombs, whether, whether you want to, you know, talk about that or not, right? And, and so it, it takes, you know, governance, it takes um, uh, a lot of people, smart people coming together, um, putting structures in place in order to like take something that, that, that's that powerful um, and then use it for the good of humanity. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking like eventually we're going to be in, you know, fusion energy, fission energy, like perpetual energy, like all that stuff. But all of that's going to come. But the better, you know, more efficient energy source you have, again, the more dangerous they can be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a similar thing with every single technology, computing, social networks. Right. I immense uh, connectivity in the world, but also the ability now to spread, say, propaganda or whatever at an, uh, at an uh, unimaginable rate, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's always pros and cons. And that's kind of my personality. That's how I think about the world is like, you know, think about both sides of the equation, try to be less extreme, um, and then use the tools that you have in order to do good, right? And so that's also how I think about AI. AI is going to be one of those powerful technologies that permeate every single part of our our lives. And we're like, we're seeing glimpses of it today, but even, you know, the, the Google homes and the Alexas are still mostly hard coded to date. Like when somebody says, what's the weather, some intern or somebody has, has encoded that weather go means go check this program. Um, eventually AI is going to be able to learn those kinds of things immediately and all of that. And we're already starting to see that curve. Um, and, and it's going to permeate everything we do, whether it's, you know, how we drive, uh, how we communicate, how we get work done. Um, and so I see that as a massive potential to be a, another, you know, like industrial revolution. AI is the fourth industrial revolution, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had, you know, steam, computing, whatever. Um, and there's, there's de detriments. Bias uh, creeps in because AI today is trained by data sets and data that are labeled uh, by humans. Right. And you have a whole bunch of things like that. You have, you know, the potentially AGI and what happens when AI can actually start to self-adapt and things like that. And how do you again create those guardrails? Um, and so 
that's how I think about the world is there's, there's pros, there's cons to every technology. Um, at the end of the day, we want to, again, unlock genius for every human. Um, and, and so uh, you, you still create the technology, you still um, learn, grow, um, you know, human, humankind, we're gonna, we're always gonna explore space, we're always gonna, you know, figure out what's on the, the boundaries of what's possible. And at the same time, uh, thinking very consciously about how to do these in safe and effective ways. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.